Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without connection. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and surround us with your presence and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. Now we started our journey into Lent last week, and I told you about the backpack that I've prepared for us, and because on any good journey there are things that we need along the way. And as I dig through here, I think for today's scripture, we need a map. Now, I know maps are becoming obsolete, it seems, with the days of cell phones and, and Google and Waze and all sorts of other great things. This is a nice local map. It could tell you where to go in the neighborhood and even in Windsor and, uh, and all throughout Detroit. I discovered a need for a map that I will tell you about soon Maps are valuable because they show us the lay of the land. Topographical maps show us elevation. Nautical maps show us depths and shoals. Road maps point out intersections and the blue highways. Trail maps show us the path to take through the forest. Maps are a tool that one still needs at times to know how, but we know how, need to know how to use it in order for the map to make sense. They may provide a basic way for us to see and find our way. But once we're on the road, once, we're, once we've taken to the trail, we learn that there is so much more to know than the map will give us. Now, last summer, I led a backpacking trip into Red River Gorge with 10 other people. Most of the group, myself included, were rather unfamiliar with the gorge, and so we put a lot of trust in a man who grew up with the forests and the parks around Red River Gorge as more or less an extension of his childhood backyard. He knew the gorge, and he knew its conditions in certain weathers, and he knew the temperament of the forest as well in these conditions. He knew the trails, places to get water. He showed us incredible waterfalls and vistas that looked out over the rivers. And as we read our map, we trusted his experience that brought us the ability to read it in the ways that we needed. Now, we used that map, but what made it valuable was his experience. We, we, we followed his path to take where we could see elevations, but didn't know necessarily what they meant. He also could show us what paths not to take. But what this map did not show us, however 
or the parts of the trail that would be washed out by the river. It didn't tell us about conditions. It didn't tell us how much our legs would burn going up those really steep trails. It also did not tell us the liters of extra water that we would need to pump from the river and filter along the way. The map also did not explain the absolutely incredible beauty of the gorge. We need our maps, but we also need experience to guide us. We need experience that is beyond our own. Once again, a crowd is gathered around Jesus, and at the front of the crowd, the disciples sit, and Jesus teaches. They listen. Jesus describes the kind of experiences that lie ahead for him. It is not a road that most will want to travel. It involves suffering, rejection, ridicule, death. And after three days, this Jesus will rise. Peter's response is is immediate. It's somewhat foolish. It's somewhat loyal. It is somewhat selfish. No, Jesus, I will not tolerate this future, he seems to say. We will not put up with this outcome. There must be a better way, another way, he seems to say. And this is when Jesus provides a map for Peter and the disciples and the crowd. It is a map on how one lives a life as a disciple. It is a map in the shape of a cross. And looked at one way, the map is straightforward. Looked at from many other ways, it's not an easy map to read and requires some experience. Jesus tells them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus is pretty clear about what one must do. The meaning of this instruction, however, is complex at best and mysteriously baffling at worst. A disciple must take up one's cross, must be willing to lose their life to save it. Sometimes the instructions Jesus offers feels a bit like holding a map upside down. One place to begin finding our way on this map Jesus offers is to consider the cross. The Roman Empire governed over Palestine at the time of Jesus' ministry. And for the Roman Empire, the cross was a form of punishment reserved for dissenters and rebels and agitators, those who would put up resistance. The cross was a punishment that was intended to make a display of what happens to those who will make trouble for the empire and advance their cause in opposition to it. The cross was a symbol of torture and humiliation 
and the empire's power. The cross preserved the status quo, the way things are. It kept the powers that be in power. Jesus transformed the meaning of the cross when he died and rose to new life. It is no longer a sign of death. It is a sign of new life. It is a sign of death transformed. It is a sign of an undying love, a profound grace, the hope and possibility of a world yet to be known. The disciples don't yet have the experience to know this new reality. It's still to come. But the second part of Jesus' instruction here is valuable for this status quo challenging kind of discipleship. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who will lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. This is what Jesus says, and this is pretty serious talk in relationship to the cross. The word life is at the center of it, and it's far more nuanced than our translations articulate. Life is more than just life and death. The biblical word for life, psyche, also refers to a sense of self, one's soul, one's being. It is a very encompassing word. And at the heart of Jesus' call here is to think about what it means to set aside one's self, one's desires, one's expectations to put God's ways, God's desires, God's hope at the heart of one's life. The book that we are reading for the church's Lenten book study The geography of God has a good word on this life focused on God. Michael Linval writes, To permit God to trespass into this tiny universe with a self at the center will invite no end of mischief. To permit God through the door will radically reorient one's spiritual and moral universe. Not I, but the one who transcends me becomes the point of orientation. Not I, but the one whom faith names God comes to be the nexus of meaning. Not I, but God is the one who gives shape and purpose to all. All things, any true geography that places divinity on the map must place God at the center. Picking up one's cross to follow means orienting one's life fully toward the new life, new reality of God's grace, God's insistent practice of shaping all that is toward a quality of being alive. It means participating 
in making known what God's desire for the world looks like, even at risk of oneself. And so Jesus, turning to the disciples and the crowd, explains that the status quo will be challenged. But the status quo in question is far greater, far bigger than a single empire. The ministry of Jesus was hardly a rebellion or insurrection. Jesus challenged power with compassion. His ministry was about changing hearts and minds by grace and presence. When Jesus talks about the cross, about following this compassion, mercy, grace, hospitality, and healing that is at the heart of Jesus' ministry and experience is what is seen as a threat to those who would preserve the status quo. In 1997, there was what is now thought to be a legendary advertising campaign that pointed to such wisdom, such experience that is vested in some amazing people who've walked the earth. Today, people know this campaign as the Think Different campaign for Apple computers. It was designed to sell computers, but inadvertently, it also became an inspiration for people who were bent on trying to make change in the world. This TV commercial shows a rotating cast of well-known public figures. They hardly need to be named, and they actually are not. Einstein, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Muhammad Ali, Princess Diana, Amelia Earhart, Jim Henson, Martha Graham, Paul... Pablo Picasso, Lucille Ball, Joan Baez, and on and on this cast of people is presented. And as they are shown, a voice says this. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. They have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the thing you cannot do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that do. Now, I don't know about you, but most days I don't think of myself as revolutionary or the one who would change the world or the one who is going to think different. I don't wake up in the morning and brush my teeth thinking, let's challenge the status quo. There's no note on my coffee maker that says, break the rules. My guess is that you are probably more like me than the crazy ones. 
But these people are known for the work that they did to bring life in the world through justice, artistry, and breaking barriers that held people captive to close-minded thinking. When I think about our world, though, I begin to realize how much Christian faith lived in its most basic form does challenge the status quo. And it gives me hope when I think about the values that we express in our faith, welcome, compassion, prayer, sacrifice, self-giving, justice, hope, joy, gratitude, humility, forgiveness. Every day, these values and practices of our faith are things that we acknowledge as important, as the heart of having God at our, the center of our map. And there are other days, though, that these values seem like a flat-out rebellion in the face of a world that is bent on taking life, diminishing life for profit, success, power, authority, or personal gain. The cross we bear, the cross that we carry is to follow Christ throughout our lives, even when, or perhaps when, we face the discomfort of challenging the commonly held expectations of a world that would diminish or take life. It's not really about the status quo. It is about the one who is at the heart of our lives, about God acting as the compass as we unfold the maps that we read to seek an understanding of our very human terrain that we walk out into daily. And we can walk down the unknown trail with assurance because there are some things that we carry with us that do not change. We can pick up our cross, whatever that may be for us, and follow because of God's love for us. Because of the promise that we belong to God, a person of faith may discover that there is something truly revolutionary in a life of faith because of the great gift that God is at the center, the heart of our lives, we can be grateful that God is there and goes with us wherever we go. Thanks be to God. Amen.